As we continue in this season of Lent with these Lenten theme words that rise up from the Psalms, today's word is suffering. And while the word suffering seems like an important Lenten word to address in this series of words, I do have to say that I do not feel personally qualified to talk about suffering. Maybe you are qualified to talk about suffering, but I do not feel qualified to talk about suffering from within the perspective of my own personal experiences. I've had the experience of sadness, that's for sure. I've experienced moments, even periods of what felt like darkness or at least dimness. I know about anxiety and grief and the worn and wearing feelings of deep tiredness. But I'm not sure that I know much from my own personal experience about suffering. People who personally know about suffering not only know, but have often experienced the darkest things that people do to each other, brutal, violent things, dehumanizing things. People who personally know about suffering know about the total loss of control in their own lives. People who personally know about suffering may also know about it because they have come to understand the effect of intense and persistent physical pain. People who personally know about suffering have often entered into that place of anguish that overtakes a person when Everything you had seems to have been forced from your hands. Sometimes when we casually appropriate the word suffering from within the shallows rather than the depths of our experience, we may speak of suffering in more simplistic, less intense terms. We may think of suffering as something we feel when things don't go our way. Or someone says or does something that is damaging to our status or our reputation. We may choose to call any persistent struggle suffering. But the truth is that most of us don't know much about suffering because either we have been very fortunate in our lives so far, fortunate enough to be able to steer around significant pain or loss, or else our position in society has shielded us from the impacts of violence and injustice, or we don't know much about suffering because we have done everything in our power to avoid it. The last of those things is the one that is almost universally true, I think. Most of us do everything in our power to avoid suffering. Everything from fighting back to turning our back. We actively and vigorously resist suffering. We may medicate ourselves and find other ways to numb our feelings. We pretend that things are fine even if they aren't. We avoid hard things. We protect our privilege. Why? Because even if we haven't experienced the personal toll of suffering, we have seen the toll. We've seen suffering. Even if we haven't wanted to look at it directly, we've seen suffering. And after a glance, we've been tempted to turn away because we suspect that were we in the shoes of the one whose suffering we have witnessed, we would not be able to endure. 
we would lose not only what we hold in our hands, but we might lose whatever we have claimed in our hearts of hope and peace. We've seen suffering and we've turned away for the sake of not only our self-preservation, but because it feels too risky to look more closely and more open-heartedly at the depths of what is overwhelmingly painful. In the scripture, the psalmist recognizes that suffering often does provoke in us a response of avoidance. The writer uses a stronger word than the word avoid. He uses the word despise. We despise suffering, and so we are prone to turn away from those who are mired in it. But God, the psalmist says, does not despise or detest the suffering of the one who suffers. And so God does not turn away. God does not hide God's face and instead listens to the cries of those who suffer. It is a reason for hope. And then the psalmist goes on. Let those who are suffering eat and be full. Let those who are suffering eat and and be full. It's an interesting direction for the text to take. God does not despise or detest the suffering of the one who suffers. God does not hide God's face and instead listens to the cries of those who who suffer. Let those who are suffering eat and be full. So God does not turn away from the suffering, and not only that, but God feeds those who suffer. What does God feed them? Certainly God doesn't feed them with platitudes. God doesn't feed them with empty promises about how things somehow magically become better or easier. God doesn't feed them with anything that is empty. So what does God feed to those who suffer? How might they eat and be full when they have been starving for understanding, for relief, for nourishment? I think that God feeds the suffering with kindness. God feeds the suffering with enduring presence. God feeds the suffering with empathy. The empathy of tears and the empathy of compassion. God feeds the suffering with the hope that things will change. Even if not in the moment, even if the change is not relief from the pain of the moment, God feeds the suffering with the hope that their suffering is not in vain. The hope that though they suffer, their children might not suffer the same fate, the same failures of the system, the same struggles. God feeds the suffering with the hope that their suffering has not gone unnoticed. And God feeds the suffering with love despite Love despite the loneliness, love despite the depth of anguish, love despite the desperation, the loss of control, or the experience of standing at the edge of the abyss. I say all of that in faith, but is it something that we feel? I may not be qualified to talk about suffering from within the bounds of my personal experience from the inside out, 
but I can say something about suffering from the perspective of having seen it. I have stood alongside it. I have smelled its sharp odor and seen the effects of its persistent sting. I have observed, not only observed, but I have felt how suffering empties people of their strength, their endurance, how it can puncture their peace so that whatever peace they thought they had runs out of their bodies, their spirits, and and puddles on the floor around them. I've seen suffering that is attended by violence and injustice, and it's often overwhelming and diminishing. I have seen this. Perhaps you have borne witness to this as well. So is there an answer to suffering? Is there a path through it, a way forward? Is there really a way to feed those who suffer so that they might be full? And if so, to feed them with what? What can their nearly starved stomachs handle? What basic nourishment do their bodies need? When I was starting to write this sermon this week, thinking about suffering, I thought to call Ruth Barrett, who joined our congregation last year. I thought of her because of the work she does through the Center for Victims of Torture, an organization that works at advancing human rights and trying to build a future free from torture through research, training, advocacy, and healing services for survivors. I called her and asked her to think and talk with me about suffering. As we started to talk, Ruth quickly focused in on the importance of hope. That people who suffer need to have some reason, some pathway of hope. And she talked about the importance of connection. Suffering is made worse through isolation. Torture attempts to tear people away from their community. It aims to destroy trust in those around them. Suffering is addressed through the restoring of trust. Then later in the day, she sent me these notes. The essence of trauma, she wrote, is being alone with overwhelming affect and emotion. Witnessing to suffering, that is, accompanying suffering, sitting with those who are suffering, is the perfect antidote. In helping someone not to be alone, you are turning trauma into something that is not trauma. Still bad, still painful, but not necessarily trauma with its serious mental health consequences. Sitting with someone's pain requires engagement that is spiritual, intellectual, and relational. All three, not just one. Torture, she said, affects five basic human needs, the need to feel safe, the need to trust, the need to feel a value that is to have self-worth, the need to feel close to others, and the need to feel some control over our lives. So what is our work in the face of suffering? 
First, not to despise the suffering because to despise the suffering will spill over into despising the one who suffers. That is, it is our work not to look away from suffering because to look away is a kind of abandonment of the one who suffers. To look away is to act as though we are or we should be immune to what someone else is experiencing. To look away, to despise the suffering is to position our lives to point our hearts in a different direction than toward the one who needs our presence and our empathy. And then secondly, our work in the face of suffering is to nourish, to feed those who suffer, to provide them with the nourishment they need, the things they have been denied safety, trustworthiness, affirmation of their worth, closeness, restoration of some measure of control. Suffering is healed not just by sympathetic thoughts, not by leaving someone alone to sort it out themselves, but by patient presence and acts of restoration. Apathy works against that. Avoidance works against that, but so does the overtaking of someone else's struggles. We honor the strength and courage of those who suffer when we support and honor the truth of their experience, not when we pretend to own what is not ours. One of the things I often think about when I am faced with the suffering of someone who I have been called or invited to accompany through a difficult time is how I can find the balance between being supportive and available without being accidentally arrogant in my determination of what is most helpful for that person. Some weeks ago, John Hartsaw, a member of our church, received a reply letter from the school where the young Nigerian woman, Esther, who was kidnapped from Chibok and held in captivity for several years, the one we as a congregation prayed for every Sunday for years and years before she was released from the school where she is now studying. After her picture appeared in a National Geographic magazine article about the escaped and rescued women from Chibok, John decided to write to the school where the article indicated Esther is studying. After a lengthy period of time, the letter apparently found its way there. The head of school responded. She said she could facilitate a correspondence, but she wanted to know what we wanted to communicate. John handed the question to me, and I shared it with our church board. We are thinking about that now. The question that faces us is this. What can we say to Esther that can possibly be of any help in the face of the great suffering she has experienced in her young life? What? That we prayed for her? That we thought of her Sunday after Sunday, year after year? Does that sound self-serving, self-congratulatory? Look, we prayed for you. Or could it be heard from the deep place of sadness and fearfulness and concern 
that many of us held in our hearts week after week for a young woman whose name we knew, but about whom we knew nothing else. She suffered, we did not, but we held her in our hearts consistently. Would that bring some hope to her now? Some assurance? Some healing? We don't know what she went through. We have no claim on her and on her experience. But we did not turn away. We did what we could do. We prayed. We prayed that God would be with her even as we could not. Was that enough? Is that enough even now? Does she need to know? Would it help? These are our questions for us as we seek to be people of faith and faithfulness, as we seek to feed the world with hope and healing. There is suffering all around us. It is baked into our systems. It is a garment that some people cannot shrug off their shoulders. It may not be our own personal experience, but it is not far from us. And so we have to look at it. We have to come alongside it. We have to humbly offer our presence, our compassion, our trustworthiness. We have to do these things. Because to enter into such spaces of pain and woundedness is to offer a bright reflection of the God who made us and the God who claims us, this God who prioritizes healing, and relief. And to you among us who have and are experiencing suffering, please be our teachers, our guides. Help us to know what to feed you, how to nourish you. Help us to be faithful followers of Christ and witnesses to hope as we travel in your company. Please pray with me. Some among us suffer, O God. Some of that suffering we see, and some is held in the secret places of their hearts and souls. Some of that suffering is physical, some of it is mental, some of it is spiritual, but it is all real, and it is all deeply felt. We thank you, dear God, that you are a God of presence, of healing. You, O God, do not look away, even when sometimes we do. You, O God, do not give up, even when sometimes we do. You, O God, always give priority to healing, even when sometimes we do not. Open our eyes, our our hearts, to the hurt that exists in this world, and especially the hurt that exists right around us, even between us. Do not let us be contributors to suffering, but instead help us to be the ones who nourish those who hunger for hope and for trust. Jesus Christ, the one in whose name we pray, knew suffering beyond what we will ever know, and yet he lives and breathes with us.
Let us live in his example. Let us live in his spirit. Thanks be. Amen.